Hello, my name is Mark Searby and I'm a film critic, broadcaster and author of Al Pacino, The Movies Behind the Man. Thanks for clicking play on episode four of All About Al, the Pacino podcast. This time we're looking at Carlito's Way. The film was released in North America on the 12th of November 1993, meaning this podcast is released on the week of its 30th anniversary. The film is the second time Pacino and De Palma collaborated after 1983's Scarface. However, Carlito's Way is an altogether different film. It's an intelligent movie about a gangster finally growing a heart. It's also a romance movie because we watch Carlito try and romance Gale for a second shot at love. It's also got some great action set pieces, including that amazing Grand Central Station foot chase. However, one thing the film never gets a lot of respect for, its use of disco. Not just the music, but also the actual nightclub that Carlito takes on to run. Here to remedy that with me on this episode is film critic Alan Jones. Now trying to list all of Alan's work would take days. An overview is that he is an international film critic, a broadcaster, an author and a journalist specialising in horror and fantasy. He's also the co-director of Frightfest Film Festival and the artistic director of the Triste Science and Fiction Festival. But many might not know that Alan was at the forefront of the punk and disco movements when they both started. So you're going to hear some of Alan's stories from those halcyon disco days and nights. Why he thinks Carlito's Way is one of the best movies to feature disco in it and how it gets it right. And also how he interviewed Brian De Palma and why the director will never forget him. So here it is. All about Al. The Pacino Podcast, Episode 4, with film critic Alan Jones on Carlito's Way. So I was thinking maybe we should do Devil's Advocate, and then I thought, no, hang on, because on the side, or as another bit of your amazing career, is that you've done a lot of disco stuff. Mm -hmm. And we should talk about Carlito's Way, because it is, there is a lot of disco stuff in there as well. So I'm pleased that we're doing Carlito's Way, because me and you get to talk about it. And it's a movie that I think probably gets overshadowed by Scarface quite a lot. And that's unfortunate, because... It's not the same movie. It's a completely different movie. I mean, what are your thoughts on it initially, on Carlito's Way as a movie? Uh, well, look, I've been a massive Brian De Palma fan ever since I ever saw Sisters in the States back in the 70s. I followed his career, you know, like crazy when I got to meet him. I'll tell you that story later when the, the weirdest uh, thing how how that all happened how to this day he will still remember me but i mean i've always loved his movies obviously the classics the body doubles you know the blowouts the carries the furies they're they're all fantastic but for me i mean carlito's way is really an undervalued gangster movie i mean it really is i mean um i don't know if you saw that recent um uh article on i can't remember where it was in but um the journalist had asked different directors 
what film of theirs did they think got a really bad critical drubbing at the time, which they didn't think deserved it? Look, okay, we can all, you know, you know, make arguments. But De Palma picked Carlito's way. He actually said, mm. I really think they missed the point on this one, because as you say, it is the Scarface in the shadow of. But um, they're totally different films. I mean, I just love Carlito's way because it, it, for me, coming from the disco point of view, it's actually one of the few films made after the era that could have well been made within it, if you see what I mean. There's very few movies. Um, Saturnite Fever is obviously, you know, the one that's going to do it, but and all the others that came along um, didn't quite get it right, whereas Carlito's Way got it exactly right. There, are, I do have a couple of issues with a few of the songs that are in there that are actually out of the time loop, but other than that, for me, if you're a De Palma fan, if you're a gangster fan, if you're a disco fan, it is the perfect movie. And I also, um, I'm, I'm going to bore you to death with disco by the end of this, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I've just written my autobiography, which is called Discomania. And basically what it is, is my favourite disco movies of all time, of which Carlito's Way is one why they're important to me, what memories they spark, and the tracks in it that actually take me back to my punk disco era of the 70s. So that's where it's all coming from. So you're actually getting a real good praise of everything that's actually in the book, funny enough. Not published until next summer. I kept it back for, for various set of reasons. But um, anyway, it's in there as well. So I'm, I'm really happy to talk to you about it, Mark, because it's one of my all-time favourite films. Oh, my goodness. There's so many questions now that have, have sprung up, Alan, all of a sudden. <laughs> but um, the thing is, actually, you, you probably don't know this either. I mean, me and you have known each other a long time, but I used to be a DJ. I was a DJ for 20-something years. So I've done the disco stuff. You know, I've done all of that as well, but I did. I wasn't there at the time well i can beat you on the dj front because i was the dj for the sex pistols of course oh other God. than that sorry you might as well give up now <laughs> uh but uh and i was sort of juggling punk with disco because as much as i loved the punk era and i had a great time with the pistols and working for them um and vivian and malcolm of course but i mean it was the disco side that i would always sort of like sidle off to at nights you know when after the after the gigs because that was you know also part of it too i mean everyone always wondered how i could sort of mix the two genres but for me they were very similar i mean they were both sort of they both came along at the right time for well, you know, to sort of like, um, you know, punk is always called like the reaction to like the, the working class revolution at the time. But disco was the same thing. Um, we'd all had enough of, uh, of, you know, of the boredom of the three day weeks of how depressing it all was. That you wanted to go out for all the glamour. And that's what it was all about for me. I mean, I had such great times in discos. I mean, you know, 54's on the wall because I did actually spend one night in there. Um, and... I have very great memories, but why it gets it right is the atmosphere, the camaraderie, the dancing. In Carlitos Way, they actually do the hustle. Um, that's a very rare thing to actually see in a movie. I think the only other one that you see it in is Looking for Mr. Goodbar is the only other time when that... But it's just, there's an authentic atmosphere. There was a joie de vivre. There was a, there was a, a, a camaraderie in a disco that you never got outside of i think from 1982 after that it was completely different it was all because everything changed i mean it was the whole 
you know, AIDS came along, you know, the sexual freedom wasn't there anymore. We could do whatever we liked. I cannot tell you how many times I had sex in different sort of toilets in various discos around the world, but that's for another story. But no, there is that. And I think it, it, that the pulse of Carlito's way is right. I mean, because the excitement was there. Also, the, the environment of the disco itself, El Pereso, is just so brilliant. I mean, I know they built it because of the camera moves. I know all that. But, it, you know, I was in discos that were that vast. I mean, and but they were packed to the rafters with dancers. I mean, that's right. I mean, I'm not sure about the ocean liner decor so much because I don't really think that many discos went in for, you know, like conceptual themes. Although there was one that was an old plane fuselage, wasn't it? Which uh, which was interesting. Um, but no, but um, it, everything about it is right from that point of view, from the ambiance, I think. Let me ask you, you touched on it just then, actually, Alan, is the dancing. We see them do the hustle, but also we do see them dance a lot in the movie. Mm. Is that what you experienced as well? And in terms of how it was playing out on the dance floor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what it was. I mean, it was like, I mean, God, it sounds I sound like such an old man, but it, it was totally different after that. I mean, it really... It was the freedom, the freedom of expression. It was everything. Don't forget, it was one of the, you know, we were all dancing alone. Then the hustle came along and it was a line dance, you know, and they were, we were all back together again. I mean, you know, I went over to New York to learn the hustle. I went to a fantastic club called 18 West, um, just solely so I could learn it, um, to, come, to come back to London. Those were the days where you could really get to New York very cheaply. Um, um, I did go to the Copacabana as well, which is, of course, one of the places that De Palma filmed in. Um, although it was a set, um, he did do actual, you know, filming in a proper disco. So there were all those there. I mean, this is my my big thing. Every time I'd go to, to New York, I'd always go to Brooklyn and visit 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, the for, for the whole Saturday Night Fever experience, I'd walk along the same walk, you know, where John Travolta was walking with his pain, you know, the Verrazano Bridge, you know, hey, listen, you, I went, even went to the dance studio where he learns the dances and you can actually stand there in the same mirrors. They've kept it intact. So, you know, you're talking to a complete and utter disco nerd, I'm afraid, when it comes <laughs> to all this stuff. But I mean, um, you know, I do have an issue with, with Pacino. I've always had an issue with him on cruising because the dancing in that is so terrible and it is so not right for the period either. I had a real go at William Friedkin when I met him about that. I said, you got the dancing wrong. And of course he said, well, who are you to tell me this? And I said, well, I'm actually a disco expert. I have read, I have written books on this subject. Um, he was, by the way, we did, when Mark Kermode and I did the cruising uh, commentary for Arrow, the, the, he, he, he completely said, no, he rubbished it completely. It was, it was never used because, um, he did it himself. He didn't want to do the, the commentary himself, but when he heard ours, he was so outraged by what we were saying, apparently, that he decided to axe it and did it himself. So there is a fabulous commentary on cruising by me and Mark, which you'll never hear because Friedkin banned it. That's... I, I, do you know what? I'm going to have to get you back on to talk all about that as well. I mean, we can talk about cruising... Yeah, for another time, and I do think it's a movie that needs to be spoken about. Oh, I think it's I, th I think it's a fantastic film, but the only thing it gets wrong 
is the dancing and the disco ambiance. I was in all the clubs that they show, the Mineshaft, the Anvil in that film, and believe me, it was nothing like freaking did it. Anyway. <laughs> it's weird as well, because as you say, Pacino's dancing in that is terrible. Oh, but oh. in all the other movies where he dances, He's brilliant at it. Yeah, I mean, sensible woman. He's brilliant in it. Yeah. He's fantastic. Recently, I don't know if you saw this, but um, he danced with a young lady just in a restaurant. Uh, somebody went up to him and said, would you dance? And they did the same dance from Sensible Woman, and he still got it in his 80s. And this is why it kind of boggles my mind that just that one time in cruising, he's not dancing. It looks like he's running on the spot, really. Yeah. I, mean, I just um, don't think he was comfortable with the film. No, blank. definitely I not. Mean, but in Carlito's way... His dancing is is phenomenal. It really and considering the size of the heels he's got on as well, I'm constantly flabbergasted that he manages to stay on his feet. But then I guess that's the training. I mean, what is your your take on Pacino's dancing in Carlito's way, especially with Penelope Ann Miller as well? Well, I, I mean, funny enough, Carlito's way was literally the fourth time I'd actually interviewed uh, Penelope Ann Miller. There was like. I did four movies in a row with her. I was on the set of Year of the Comet in Scotland with her and Louis Jordan. And then I went to LA to do The Relic that she was in. And I was back to London to do Chaplin, which she was in. And then this came along, Carlito's Way. And I mean, I thought, my God, we literally, I said, I was saying hello to her on a, on a permanent basis. <laughs> so uh, I did actually speak to her um, on this movie. Um, which she loved, of course. I mean, where is she now? Shame. Some actresses have their moment, don't they? And I thought she was pretty good in it, actually, I have to say. I think she was perfect. I mean, there is the rumour that they were having this massive affair. Is that true? Did you yes, know? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, Penelope Ann Miller. I think she's great in it. I mean, it's a pretty... If, if anything, I think her role is perhaps the most um, cliché of uh, in the entire film. I mean, you know, the, the stripper with a heart, you know, it's a case of, oh, come on, you know, we've seen this. I think that's the only, there's no flaws in the movie, but that's the only thing where I think it is, oh, come on, you know, we've seen this before. Whereas I think everything else in it, um, and I think from a performance point of view, when you look at the cast just now, Mark, I mean, look at how who was in it. I mean, it, it was absolutely incredible, wasn't it? I mean, it's... you know... It's amazing. This is the They've thing, you know. Great, so many good big stars in there. I mean, you know. Anyway, but I mean, that will. But then that was, um, you know, Department's genius. I will tell you. The, I have to tell you the story. Tell me, please. Uh, the, the the two very first interviews I ever did um, for Cine Fantastique magazine were all the Star Wars ones because I was on the set of the original Star Wars, and was with Brian De Palma on Carrie. Now, I, United Artists at the time said to me, would you like to interview him in Sissy Spacek? I said, of course I would, I love the film. And so I did Sissy Spacek and her husband, Jack Fisk, in their hotel room. Both were stoned out of their brains, but I'd got, but I'd got a great interview. But I had to do Brian De Palma in his limousine on the way to the airport back to LA. I got into the limousine, it, no, it didn't break down. We were caught in a traffic jam for two hours. For two hours, we were sitting there talking about his career. And that, from Carrie before that, trust me, there was really wasn't anything apart from Obsession, which I adore, um, Sisters, and of course the, the, the independent stuff he did. We left each other at the airport. 
And literally for 10 years after that, every time I saw him, it would say, it's you from the limo. So <laughs> I was always the journalist in the limo with him. And because, you know, he's, he was a tough customer, you know, he was a difficult guy. I mean, a lot of people, very famously, he would actually do interviews with his back turned towards the journalists. Um, and he tried, and the last time I saw him, I think it was four casualties of war, but he actually spoke to me properly. I was doing a lot of TV work then, so this was for film. But um, a lot of people have told me that, I mean, he's a grumpy old bastard, basically. I I love him. I think he's one of the greatest directors ever. I mean, to me. I mean, perhaps his stuff looks a bit, you know, a bit cosy now. I mean, when I saw um, a recent screening of uh, Body Double with an audience, they laughed all the way through. I was surprised at that because I think it's that sort of operatic direction now that I don't think is probably part of um, the culture. Whereas back then, it was everything for me. This is why I like Carlito's way too. You've got the operatic side of the camera work as well. You see, it's inter it's interesting you bring that up, actually, Alan, is uh, two things there is De Palma didn't want to do Carlito's way at all. He'd had enough of doing that type of movie, you know, he'd done the previous ones and he didn't even want to read it at all. It was only when Pacino kind of pushed him into it. But you're talking about the operatic side of Carlito's way. We've, we've got to touch on the the chase sequence. I mean, it's just sensational. Yeah. yeah, it's just sensational. And it took them months to do in the summer with Pacino wearing that leather coat. Um, and obviously you mentioned De Palma being a, a bit prickly shall we say there was a one day where he'd rubbed Pacino up the wrong way and Pacino just took the subway back home he'd had enough <laughs> <laughs> but it is such an amazing sequence that takes your breath away the first time you've seen it that you you do wonder how they put it all together especially well now mo when most people think it's all done by special effects and CGI especially I mean um, it's true. I mean, you know, he, that's why he's such a craftsman, De Palma. He put those things together in the days when nobody was even thinking about doing that sort of stuff. I mean, again, you've got to mention the Grand Central Station at the end. I mean, absolutely brilliant. How how fantastic is that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I did note, I did read, well, was it, is it true that they wanted to use the World Trade Center for that? But yes. the bombing... The bombing in the in the February the, the same year actually ruined that, and they had to sort of like uh, improvise very quickly. And so, but I think it's I prefer it actually. I mean, Grand Central Station's got far more grandeur, I think, than actually even the World Trade Center, which most people, you know, wouldn't have ever visited anyway. I but, wonder how many people have had their photo taken on those escalators laying down. <laughs> <laughs> You, um, probably, you probably can't get it clear enough to do it now, can you? I mean, I know they filmed at night and everything, but my God, I mean, no, a, a brilliant choreographed film. I mean, and again, the Steadicam operator, how brilliant is he to do all that? I mean, oh, amazing. There's amazing. There are, loads of people talk about it being one continuous take. There actually is a secret cut in there mm -hmm. as well. And it took De Palma years to actually tell people where it was he would tell people it's one long take and it was only i think about 10 years ago he turned around and said no there actually is a cut in there as well but it's a very sneaky cut but there always is in these one take movies isn't there they always say oh this that i mean ridiculous you know yeah. so no i mean i good good on him he's a, he's a master craftsman i didn't see it brilliant i think one of the beauties about Colito's way is 
is the romance in it is that you actually care for this gangster and you care for this romance to actually work considering what he's done considering he's come out to prison and i think part of that is the way that de palma films pacino and most of it is is just the eyes there is a lot of pacino's eyes in it there's a lot of penelope ann miller's eyes in it and especially that sequence where he's trying to get into her apartment and he can't she's got the latch on mm. as well i just think it's wonderfully shot considering this is a guy who i guess we could say makes dramatic angry action movies maybe you know is it horror as well but he's got this touch to it he's got this light romance touch to it mm. yeah i mean He's a consummate actor, isn't he? I mean, you've written the book on him, so uh, you know this. Um, he's actually one of the few people I've never interviewed, funnily enough. And I mean, I was obviously very, very, you know, C-grade when I was doing all this stuff. I, even he would not stoop to be interviewed <laughs> by myself. But I mean, there's very few of them that I never did, but he was one that I never did. Um, but no, I mean, oh, well, it goes back to De Palma again, being what he is, <clears throat> just, you know, the master craftsman of this. I mean, I've never seen anybody, I mean, on all the interviews I've, I've, I did with him, I mean, you could see there was a real mind at work here. He wasn't, I'm not saying no other directors don't do it, but there, there's, a, there's a certain technicality about it in the way, I guess the Hitchcock comparison is always there with De Palma. But I just think if you're going to learn from somebody, you do learn from Hitchcock, don't you? I mean, it's mm. the best to do. And I mean, so he never, ever worried ever that he was being called like uh, the cod Alfred Hitchcock, the, the neo Hitchcock, because he couldn't have cared less. I mean, just going to steal from someone, steal from the best, I think. Dario Argento was always the same. He said, you know, look, you know, they can call me that if they want. I'm happy. It doesn't bother me. It's like a, it's like a, you know, a, a great sort of criticism as far as he was concerned. And I think it's the same here. Um, you know, that there are so many great sequences in I, I, what, when, when they rescue him in, you know, when they're rescuing him in the in the water, for example, that always makes me laugh. I think that's a really good sequence too. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the dance stuff. I mean, you know, I was, a lot of discos were sort of like, a lot of gay discos were run by the mafia in, um, you know, especially in New York. So that all really does ring true. And I know Judge Torridge's book, I mean, I'm sure it's all based on facts and he hasn't messed around with it in any way whatsoever. But there were many clubs that were actually completely run uh, by the mafia for money laundering purposes. And of course, the gay clubs were always the best ones to have because they were always packed and they were always sort of like spend so much money. So that was very believable to me completely. I mean, so uh, the fact that would it, would he really, would a career criminal really think, I'm going to save enough money, I'm going to go to the Bahamas and open up another business, a car rental? Would they do that? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying that's a flaw, because if that was his game plan, but in a way, you go into it knowing this isn't going to happen. In no way is this ever yeah. going to happen. You don't, you don't know how it's not going to happen. But then, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, what what career criminal really thinks, oh, you know, I'm just going to go and retire in the Bahamas. Not so sure about that. <laughs> but hey. Um, you mentioned it earlier, and I'm going to pull you up on the point now about the soundtrack. 
Now, the, mm. you said there's one track in there that doesn't fit. No, there's three. Three, okay, uh, yeah. okay, right. right. You've, you've got, uh, you know, Cheryl Lynn, Got To Be Real, which is like three years in the future. You've got uh, Sh Shake Your Boozy, KC and the Sunshine Band, which is like a year out of date. And, of course, you've got the Bee Gees, You Should Be Dancing, which is 1976, famous for, you know, being in Saturday Night Fever. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was put in, because I think that's actually in the trailer to make to give it that illusion of like we're back in the you know Saturday Night Fever era. So I'm sure whoever sort of I researched the music thought no one's going to really notice this. It's just disco music in the end. Sorry, they do. Um, but I mean the soundtrack's incredible. Um, also the fact obviously Disco Inferno, you know. Rock Your Baby it aren't by the original artist. And I often wonder why they did that. And I think that's obviously because to try and get more traction from the soundtrack album sales, why, you know, no, one's, no one cares about George McRae singing Rock Your Baby anymore. They might care about, well, in the modern era, Lizzo singing it. Look at the Barbie soundtrack, for example. Yeah. But I mean, it's, um, it's all that. So there are four sort of cover versions. Not bad, you know, so not bad ones, pretty authentic in a way. But you can't be the real stuff. You know, you've got Fly, Robin, Fly, Silver Convention. You know, that for me, um, Silver Convention always were one of the best bands. They were German, but it was like they had that spatial minimalism that really worked for early disco. And I think it works really well in context here. I like the fact that you're criticising an album made by Jellybean Benitez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. Madonna. Um, and yet you go, yeah, he's, I mean, he's got it just about right. I mean, I love that. But you're right. It is a great soundtrack and it is very authentic. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Cheryl Lynn track. I think it's a, a wonderful disco tune. But mm. then they've got the OJ's Backstabbers in there, mm. which I think is another brilliant disco track that never gets the respect it deserves mm. as well. But I'm curious to know what you think about Rosala's track on there, because obviously she's covering I Love Music. And at the time when the film came out, she was this big dance diva. Well, she um, she kind of is, you know, she's still singing, she's still out there singing Everybody's Free and whatever else. But I just think it's kind of an interesting choice to have a modern artist in there. Yeah, no, well, that was that's always the way, isn't it? Even when they did 54, if you remember, they added in lots of extra people singing Lady Marmalade and stuff like that. So again, to give it, I think, more of a commercial spin. I mean, who really wants these old tracks, you know? You know what was it called? You know, granny music. You know, when you think about it. I always loved that in it in last night in Soho when she says, you know, oh, you just like all that granny music. Which I mean, but it's the same thing. You know, people aren't going to buy an album, uh, a contemporary album, unless there's some artist on it they know. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as I said, back, you know, the OJ's, George McRae, Sherilyn, who cares? You know, only disco aficionados like myself will care. But then we would have had those tracks anyway. So um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, if I just turn that to the right, you see, I've got a whole wall of disco music. But I mean, it's a, that's, all I've, that's all I've kept. <laughs> CD-wise, that's all I've got now is, um, and the, the Holy Grail, there's three disco albums you still need, but hey, we'll come across those sooner or later. Wouldn't you be upset though, if you were Patrick Doyle, who's done the music, and then all everyone talks about is the disc. I mean, to, yeah. to be honest with you, he's, he did a great job with it. I think there's some fantastic sort of like cues in that film. Really, really lovely. I mean, 
you know, he's, he did a good job with that, considering he always knew he was going to be overshadowed by the dance tracks. Yeah, I think you're right. That Talking about the cues in there, how you go from doing the music for that chase sequence compared to that scene that I was talking about where he's reaching through and he's aching for her and he wants to be with her, but he can't. It's very, it's, you know, it's wonderfully done. And as you said, it's unfortunate that Patrick Doyle has been overlooked on it because he's put together a wonderful score that I think now, if it had come out now, if this movie had come out now, the soundtrack would be, well, the sound with the soundtrack, obviously, but the score would also be lauded. You know, it would be mm. one of those things that comes out and everybody go, you need the score. You need the soundtrack, but you need the score as well. I mean, not that people buy CDs anymore. I think it's just me and you, possibly. CDs. <laughs> um, but... I, I prefer them. I've got all my vinyl albums as well. The resources I have are just amazing. I mean, you know, so I've I've kept I kept everything from the era. So um, you know, and that's what's going to be in the book as well because I've kept literally you name it, I've got it from that particular time. Everything, anything that Donna Summer put out. Well, you know, I'm talking about merchandise, I'm not talking about albums. I have. <laughs> just to make sure. I don't know why I thought it was going to be so important or it was going to actually figure. But to me, I mean, that era never goes. I mean, you've only got to hear, you just turn on the TV and you hear, yes, sir, I can boogie, back her up behind adverts now. And you realise that's what people use now just to summon up um, a, a, a quick ambiance to throw you back to that era. And I think films like Carlito's Way and anything that came after Satellite Fever are actually doing the same thing. Um, it's, it's an easy shorthand, really, to shove you back into that particular era. And I think that's fine. I mean, I'd do the same. If I, if I was ever going to make a movie, it'd be non-stop disco from start to <laughs> no chase, <laughs> No chase sequence through London, then, through the tube. Oh, no, 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 no. Not sure about that. We'll have to see. The Chase, Giorgio Moroder, of course, that would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I want to ask you one final question about Carlito's Wait, Away from uh, the soundtrack and everything is the, I guess we can call it the twist to a certain degree that we find out at the end. Do you feel it plays out well? Do you think it's, it's a very good twist at the end? What you mean regarding... You know who? Or... Yeah, who who shot Carlito? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, yes, it's hard to talk about this, isn't it? I it mean, is, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, yes, I like it. I think it's uh, you always expect something like that with a De Palma film, don't you? Something coming from left field. Yeah. So I think you know, if you you were a scholar of his work, you'd be expecting it all the way through, as far as I could see. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, one thing I just remembered is uh, George Porcel as Sasa, who couldn't speak a word of English mm. at all. And yet in the movie, it looks like he's speaking English. But if you look closely, there's a board. Uh, he's reading off a board just off camera. Oh, yeah. oh really? You can yeah. actually see that? In the... You can actually oh. see him just sort of looking off and he's having to do it phonetically as well. So they were having to teach him how to say these words. But yeah, he didn't speak a word of English at all. And yet he was a massive deal um, mm. in his native country. And, you know, clearly De Palma thought, well, let's put him in here. And yet he turns up and can't speak English, mm. which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> so I just have one last question for you then, Alan, which is, what's your favourite Al Pacino movie? Ooh. 
Oh, I'm going to have to say. Well, I, I don't want to say The Godfather, really. Um, Panic in Needle Park, I've always liked because I thought that was so strong at the time. And when you saw it, actually, then, because I saw it on release, um, you know, it was very, very powerful film. I mean, I, I, the shock of that was really, I mean, for year, for ages, it was like, you know, not being banned, but they were holding it on the shelf. Um, God, it's a really difficult one, that. Uh, cruising, I'd have to say, as, as bad as it is in many ways, I mean, I do like it um, as, 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 a, as, a, as an American jello. That was one of the reasons why um, well, we, I called it an American jello, and uh, that's freaking hated that expression. He just said, no, it's not. You don't know what you're talking about. So we went through everything that what allies it to a jello picture, very much like Clute, to me as an American Jello film. Um, and so uh, he, but you know, he would not have any of it. So, um, you know, there you go. But no, I mean, I, I, the thing is, you, isn't it the case with you? I bet you're the same. You haven't got a favorite one because every time you see, uh, you catch up with another one, you think, oh, this is really good. And this is really good. So you have a different favorite depending on where you're at, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can happily say that my favourite film of all time is The Godfather. I mean, it's not, you know, look, everybody's going to say The Godfather. Of course they are. And it's fine to say The Godfather because it is such a, an incredible movie. But I agree with you. If somebody said to me, what's your top five? I could probably give you three any day of the week and it would be the same three. But mm. then two constantly revolving all the time, you know, like you said, Panic in Needle Park is a shocking movie, but in the way that it's showed, it's an amazing movie, you know, and I think Pacino is kind of overshadowed by Kitty Wynn quite a lot. Um, but then I think about other movies that he's done recently, you know, The Irishman, we can talk about as well. Um, we could talk about some of the TV movies he's done, like Paterno or uh, Phil Spector as well. I, I have I I couldn't I mean if that was all the wig was authentic but what did he look like honestly and talking of that wig I mean it was almost like you know Sean Penn in Carlitos <laughs> wig doing the Art Garfunkel clone look I mean it was unbelievable <laughs> wasn't it uh, because that's the first thing I thought of when I saw you know Sean Penn in this you thought my God he's trying to be you know Art Garfunkel it's just, just incredible amazing performance by him though yeah let's, let's be honest yeah um, yeah. You know, you know, you do know who uh, dubs Pacino in Italy, don't you? No. Giancarlo Giannini. In How? fact, wow. Giancarlo Giannino has won awards for being the voice of Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think he was the voice in this, actually, in uh, Carlito's Way, to be honest. How but did he get that job? I think it's about what you sound like, isn't it, compared to the visual? I mean... There are so many, you know, people have made the guy who did uh, Saturday Night Fever. I mean, John, dubbed John Travolta suddenly had a career in all the Italian disco movies that came afterwards because people thought that voice was, was perfectly him. <laughs> so there's all that. But I mean, you know, I, usually it's somebody you don't really know who's famous. But in this case, um, having Giancarlo Giannini do it, I think, why would he even do it? It's like, anyway, so... Even if you didn't know that, then I'm I'm amazed. No, I didn't. I have to. Say. 
Alan Jones talking about why he loves Carlito's Way there. So I think we can safely say that Carlito's Way is one of the best movies featuring disco, and that it gets it nearly 100% correct. As you heard, Alan was there. He saw it all. And that's why he made those points about why the film succeeds when it's coming at it from a disco angle. And also why it seems to be one of the more overlooked films in Brian De Palma's filmography. Alan touched on so many bits of his life in that interview that I think we could have spent hours just talking about his early years. So if you want to know more about what Alan's life was like through his punk and disco days, onto his film criticism and beyond, then make sure you look out for his autobiography, Disco Mania, which is due to be published in 2024. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, then please do get in touch. You can find me on X, aka Twitter, on Instagram, on Blue Sky, or you can contact me via my website, MarkSearby.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all future episodes. Until next time. <laughs>